0: Chapter 50 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 50 While they were conversing, quick footsteps were heard in the street below. Mrs. Raby had succeeded in making the time pass more lightly than could be hoped. It was three o'clock. There was a knock at the door of the house. Elizabeth, breaking off abruptly, turned ashy pale, and clasped her hands in the agony of expectation. Osborne rushed into the room. "'It is all over!' he exclaimed. "'All is well!' tears streamed from his eyes as he spoke and ran up to shake hands with elizabeth and congratulate her with an ardour and joy that contrasted strangely with the frightened-looking being he had always before shown himself mr Faulkner is acquitted he is free he will soon be here no one could doubt his innocence that saw him no one did doubt it the jury did not even retire Thus Osborne ran on, relating the events of the trial. Faulkner's mere appearance had prepossessed every one. The frankness of his open brow, his dignified, unembarrassed manner, his voice, whose clear tones were the very echo of truth vouched for him. The barrister who conducted the prosecution narrated the facts rather as a mystery to be inquired into than as a crime to be detected. Gerard Neville's testimony was entirely favorable to the prisoner. He showed how Faulkner, wholly unsuspected, safe from the shadow of accusation, had spontaneously related the unhappy part he took in his unfortunate mother's death for the sake of restoring her reputation and relieving the minds of her relatives. The Narrative written in greece and left as explanation in case of his death was further proof of the truth of his account gerard declared himself satisfied of his innocence and when he stated his father's dying words his desire at the last hour on the bed of death to record his belief in falconer's being guiltless of the charge brought against him words spoken as it were yesterday for he who uttered them still lay unburied The surprise seemed to be that he should have suffered a long imprisonment and the degradation of a trial. Osborne's own evidence was clear and satisfactory. At last Faulkner himself was asked what defense he had to make. As he rose, every eye turned on him, every voice and breath were hushed. A solemn silence reigned. His words were few, spoken calmly and impressively, He rested his innocence on the very evidence brought against him. He had been the cause of the lady's death, and asked for no mercy, but for her sake, and the sake of that heroic feeling that led her to encounter death amid the waves, he asked for justice, and he did not for a moment doubt that it would be rendered him. "'Nor could you doubt it, as you heard him.' continued Osborne. Never were truth and innocence written so clearly on human countenance as on his, as he looked upon the jury with his eagle eyes, addressing them without pride, but with infinite majesty, as if he could rule their souls through the power of a clear conscience and a just cause. They did not hesitate. The jury did not hesitate a moment. I rushed here the moment I heard the words, and now he is come. Many steps were again heard in the street below, and one, which Elizabeth could not mistake, upon the stairs. Faulkner entered, she flew to his arms, and he pressed her to his bosom, wrapping her in a fond, long embrace, while neither uttered a word. A few moments of trembling, almost to agony, a few agitated tears, and the natural gladness of the hour assumed its genuine aspect— falkner commanding himself could shake hands with osborne and thank him and elizabeth presented him to mrs raby he at once comprehended the kindness of her visit and acknowledged it with a heartfelt thankfulness that showed how much he had suffered while picturing elizabeth's abandonment soon various other persons poured into the room and it was necessary to pass through many congratulations and to thank and what was really painful to listen to the outpouring talk of those persons who had been present at the trial yet at such a moment the heart warmed and open acknowledges few distinctions among those whose evident joy in the result filled elizabeth with gratitude she and falkner felt touched by none so much as the visit of a turnkey who was ashamed to show himself yet who hearing they were immediately to quit carlisle begged permission to see them once again the poor fellow who looked on elizabeth as an angel and falkner as a demigod for, not forgetting others in their adversity, they had discovered and assisted his necessities. The poor fellow seemed out of his mind with joy. Ecstasy was painted on his face. There was no mistaking the clear language of a full and grateful heart. At length the hurry and tumult subsided. All departed." Faulkner and his beloved companion were left alone, and for a few short hours enjoyed a satisfaction so perfect that angels might have envied them. Faulkner was humbled. It is true, and looked to the past with the same remorse, but in vain did he think that his pride ought to feel deeply wounded by the scene of that day. In vain did he tell himself that, after such a trial, the purity of his honor was tarnished. His heart told another tale. Its emphatic emotions banished every conventional or sophisticated regret. He was honestly, though calmly, glad, and acknowledged the homely feeling with the sincerity of a man who had never been nourished in false refinements or factitious woes. In the evening, when it was dusk, said Faulkner, let us love take a walk. The words made Elizabeth both laugh and cry for joy. He put on his hat, and with her on his arm, they got quickly out of the town and strolled down a neighboring lane. The wind that waved the heads of the still leafless trees, the aspect of the starry sky, the widespread fields, were felt as blessings from heaven by the liberated prisoner. They all seem, he said, created purely for my enjoyment— How sweet is nature, how divine a thing is liberty! Oh, my God, I dare not be so happy as I would. There is one thought to chill the genial glow. But for the image of lost dead Alethea, I should enjoy a felicity too pure for frail humanity. As they returned into the town, a carriage with four posters passed them. Elizabeth recognized at once Gerard Neville within a pang shot through her heart to remember that they did not share their feelings but were separated perhaps for ever at this very hour on her return worn out with fatigue and oppressed with this reflection she bade good-night to Faulkner, and he happy in the idea that the same roof would cover them kissed and embraced her On entering her room she found a letter on her toilet, and smiles again dimpled her face. It was a letter from Neville. It contained a few words, a very few of congratulation, reminding her that he must hurry back to town for the melancholy task of his father's funeral, and imploring that neither she nor Faulkner would determine on any immediate step. I cannot penetrate the cloud in which we are enveloped, he said. But I know that I ought not, that I cannot lose you. A little time, a little reflection, may show us how to accord our various duties with the great necessity of our not being separated. Be not rash, therefore, my own Elizabeth, nor let your friend be rash. Surely the worst is over, and we may be permitted at last to hate no more and to be happy. Elizabeth kissed the letter, and placed it beneath her pillow. That night she slept sweetly and well. Early in the morning Mrs. Raby called on them. The same prepossession, which Gerard had felt in her favour as soon as he saw her, had taken place in her on seeing Faulkner. There is a sort of magnetism that draws, like to like, and causes minds of fine and lofty tone to recognize each other when brought in contact mrs raby saw and acknowledged at once Faulkner's superiority whatever his faults had been they were winnowed away by adversity and he was become at once the noblest and gentlest of human beings Mrs. Raby had that touch of generosity in her own character that never permitted her to see merit without openly acknowledging and endeavouring to reward it. The first thought of the plan she now entertained she had cast away as impracticable, but it returned. The desire to give and to benefit, a natural growth in her heart, made her look on it with complacency. By degrees she dismissed the objections that presented themselves, and resolved to act upon it. We complain, she thought, of the barrenness of life, and the tediousness and faults of our fellow-creatures. And when Providence brings before us two selected from the world, as endowed with every admirable quality, we allow a thousand unworthy considerations, which assume the voice of prudence to exile us from them where can i find a man like falkner full of honour sensibility and talent where a girl like elizabeth who has proved herself to be the very type of virtuous fidelity such companions will teach my children better than volumes of moral treatises the existence and loveliness of human goodness mrs raby passed a sleepless night revolving these thoughts In the morning she called on her new friends, and then, with all the grace that was her peculiar charm, she invited them to accompany her to Belle Forest, and to take up their residence there for the next few months. Elizabeth's eyes sparkled with delight. Faulkner at once accepted the invitation for her, and declined it for himself. "'You hear him, my dear aunt,' cried Elizabeth, "'but you will not accept his refusal. You will not permit this perversity.' You forget many things when you speak thus, said Faulkner, but Mrs. Raby remembers them all. I thank her for her kindness, but I am sure she will admit of the propriety of my declining her invitation. You imagine, then, replied Mrs. Raby, that I made it for form's sake, intending it should be refused. You mistake. I know what you mean, and all you would covertly suggest— let us cast aside the ceremonies of mere acquaintanceship let us be friends and speak with the openness natural to us do you consent to this you are good very good said falkner except this dear girl who will deign to be my friend "'If I thought,' replied Mrs. Raby, "'that your heart was so narrowed by the disasters and injustice you have suffered, that you must hereafter shut yourself up with the remembrance of them, I should feel inclined to retract my offer, for friendship is a mutual feeling, and he who feels only for himself can be no one's friend. But this is not the case with you,' you have a heart true to every touch of sympathy as elizabeth can testify since you determined to live for her sake when driven to die by the agony of your sufferings let us then at once dismiss notions which i must consider as unworthy of us when we turn to the page of history and read of men visited by adversity what do we say to those of their fellow-creatures who fall off from them on account of their misfortunes do we not call them little-minded and visit them with our contempt do not class me with such i might pass you carelessly by if you had always been prosperous it is your misfortunes that inspire me with friendship that render me eager to cultivate an intimacy with one who has risen above the most frightful calamity that could befall a man and shown himself at once repentant and courageous You will understand what I mean without long explanation. We shall have time for that hereafter. I honour you. What my heart feels, my voice and actions will ever be ready to proclaim. For Elizabeth's sake you must not permit the world to think that he who adopted and brought her up is unworthy of regard and esteem. Come with us to Belforest. You must not refuse. I long to introduce my girls to their matchless cousin." I long to win her heart by my affection and kindness, and if you will permit me the enviable task, how proud and glad I shall be to repay a portion of what we owe you on her account, by endeavouring to compensate by a few months of tranquillity and friendship for the misery you have undergone. Mrs. Raby spoke with sincerity and earnestness, and Elizabeth's eyes pleaded her cause yet more eloquently. "'Where you go,' she said to Faulkner, "'there also I shall be. "'I shall not repine, however you decide, "'but we shall be very happy at Belle Forest.' "'It was real modesty and no false pride "'that actuated Faulkner. "'He felt happy, yet when he looked outward "'he fancied that hereafter "'he must be shut out from society, "'a branded man. "'He intimately felt the injustice of this.' He accepted it as a punishment for the past, but he did not the less proudly rise above it. It was a real pleasure to find one entertaining the generous sentiments which Mrs. Raby expressed, and capable of acting on them. He felt worthy of her regard, and acknowledged that none but conventional reasons placed any barrier to his accepting her kind offers. Why, then, should he reject them? He did not. Frankly and with sincere thanks, he suffered himself to be overruled, and on the following day they were on their road to Belforest. End of chapter 50.